can't tell you what a joy it has been for me to be here. Uh, it's 43 years since I graduated from Asbury, and it was like coming home for me. And it has been a really wonderful thing to have fellowship with students, professors, the president of the school. Uh, God has really blessed me and my wife as a result of being here. Uh, we have been talking about winsome witness, uh, and uh, we talked about the need to proclaim the truth because Jesus is the truth. Uh, that was what we did on the first day. On the second day, we looked at some of the objections uh, to the whole question of sharing the gospel in a pluralistic world. Today, we are going to look at our lifestyle. Wherever we are, we are witnesses for Jesus. And um, we are going to do uh, our calling personally and uh, is to do that and also to send people into the world, people who are not full-time workers like us, who will go and, and be the witnesses uh, that Jesus would have us be. So we are going to look at a journey that Paul took, not as some preacher, but as a prisoner. But in this prison, uh, as a prisoner journeying to Rome, we are going to see how he shared Christ and how he was a witness for Christ. So, um, so the, the first thing we see uh, is he's got onto a ship. This is the first slide. Um, how uh, they stop in Sidon. And verse 3 tells us that the Roman officer, Junius, was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore <clears throat> to visit with friends. Now, the thing that I'm talking about right now is how we cultivate friendships wherever we go, with people whom we meet, whether they are Christians or not. And uh, Paul did this later on another ship when the soldiers, this is in verse 42 of, uh, of chapter 27 of Acts, when the soldiers tried to kill the prisoners, the commanding officer wanted to spare Saul, so he spared everybody. Obviously, he had got to become friendship, friendly with people. And in this case, cultivating friendship would have served to protect Saul and also uh, the others, uh, other prisoners. And then when he was in Caesarea, the various Roman officers, uh, uh, the Roman governors would come and they would just chat with Paul. Uh, when he was rescued and they went to Malta, again you find him ministering in the family of the chief official of the town. So wherever Paul went, he made friends with people. And this is a characteristic who thrived in, of people who thrived in situations where they were a minority, where they were odd people out. Uh, Daniel is, is perhaps the best example of this. You always see him as a friend to those whom he dealt with. Jesus, of course, was a friend of those who were shunned by the religious establishment. A few years back, when Sri Lanka came under very severe attack, the church in Sri Lanka, uh, because people are getting converted and there were all sorts of stories being told about us. One of the things we realized was that People didn't know who we were. One pastor said, you know, once a person becomes a Christian, he becomes a bad neighbor because he's so involved in church 
that is not involved anymore with his neighborhood. So this is something that we have to remember. We go wherever we are and cultivate friends and integrate with society. So that's the first point we see uh, about this winsome witness wherever we are. We cultivate friendships. And then if you go to the next slide, we contribute wisdom. Paul uh, had traveled a lot, and as a person who had traveled a lot, he was alert to maritime issues. So in verse 10, we find Paul telling the people, men, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck and loss of cargo. Of course, they didn't take his advice, and they went on the trip, and there was disaster. You know, they were involved in this terrible storm. Um, and um, um, uh, after several days in the storm, when the people had not eaten for a long time, and it was time for a rescue, uh, again we find him telling them, now, now it's time to eat. We've got to be strong. So eat so that you can uh, go on. Please eat something for it will give you strength, he says in verse 34. So here you see wise responses to difficult situations in life. Worldly wisdom. Christians give worldly wisdom. Uh, and and uh, for us to do that, uh, to use a phrase uh, coined by, uh, a statement coined by, uh, popularized by John Stott, we should be experts in the art of double listening. We listen to the word and we listen to the world. And we put our knowledge together with life-giving wisdom in this world. Uh, John Wesley was a person who called himself a man of one book. Uh, but he was also an astute observer of society. Uh, one day he was traveling with one of his young preachers. Sammy was his name. And they saw two women on the street who were fighting. They were having a big argument. And uh, Sammy wanted to quietly move aside from this thing and get away. And um, John Wesley told Sammy, stay, Sammy, stay and learn to preach. You know, when we observe what is happening, we, 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 we and process that through our Christian understanding, we can give life-giving wisdom and relevant, uh, and relevant messages to this world. You know, one of the things that we always must remember is that the message that we believe in is the message of the creator to his creation. This is what people are looking for. They may not realize that they're looking for this, but this is what they are looking for. And we go with that confidence to the world. Uh, Sri Lanka had an awful war for many years, 30, almost 30 years. And during the war, I was once preaching in the north of the country, which is not the area where my race uh, is found, uh, and I was uh, speaking at a seminar on sexual issues in the life of a Christian worker. And um, next to the, and, and, and while I was speaking, there was a person who came a little late, and he was taking profuse notes. So um, after the meeting was over, he came up to me and said, I'd like to talk to you. And looking at his hand, I knew he was a Buddhist because he had put uh, uh, that there are Buddhists who wear, you know, things that you recognize, you recognize they are Buddhists. And he said, 
uh, I found out that he was the captain, the one in charge, the brigadier of the army camp that was next to the church where I was speaking. And he said, I want to talk to you. And so we made an appointment and we had a long chat. And he told me, you know what you're saying? We need to hear. I don't know what to do with my soldiers. I can't rein them in. They need to hear what you say. And then he said, you must go to my village, my town, which is a very Buddhist area, and give them the message you gave to these people. Later he called his wife and he said, I want you to talk to my wife <laughs> and had me talk on the phone with his wife. Now, I was talking to pastors on, the sex on sexual issues in the life of a Christian worker. But he realized, we need to hear this message. You know, there's so much confusion today on sexual issues, on many issues. And people are confused. And sometimes we can tend to get on the defensive and think that, oh, they are not interested in what we have to say. But we must remember that the wisdom that we have is life-giving wisdom from the creator of the universe. And we can look for opportunities to impart this wisdom to our people. Of course, it will have to be couched in language that the people can understand, not in Christian jargon. But this could be a good opportunity for witness in situations like that. So that's our second point. Uh, the third point is that we communicate hope. You know, th this was a desperate situation that Paul was in after some time. For two weeks, they were in a storm-tossed sea. Uh, during the war, there were times when I had to go to certain places where our ministry was operating uh, that was, um, uh, couldn't be accessed by road because the war was going on. So I would go by boat uh, along the sea, on the sea. And one day, uh, we got caught in a storm. Uh, it was about a three-hour storm. And I found out how much my stomach holds that day. Uh, and I was just wishing for death. It was so terrible, so uncomfortable. Three hours. These people were there for 14 days, for two weeks, struggling with this storm. But you find Paul saying in verse 22, take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. And again in verse 25, again he says, take courage. For I believe God. Again in verse 35, he says, now it's time to eat. We are going to be rescued. So you eat. And so he eats. And verse 36 says, they were all encouraged and ate some food. You know, when things look very bleak, we know that God has not abandoned this world. And so Christianity is a religion of hope. This was very real to us during the war. People had just given up hope. They had forgotten about caring for their yards, their flowers, because everything was so bleak. And we told our, our ministry, people in our ministry, we are going to be agents of hope in this place. We are going to keep our centers open so that people can come and play cricket or soccer or whatever they want to play. In the evenings, we keep our centers open so that young people can come and study because their homes may not have electricity. And we just, we just want to tell people 
God has not abandoned this world. We don't give up. You know, sometimes when we look at things happening politically and otherwise, we can become very depressed and lose hope. But let's remember that God is in control. And we go with that confidence, bringing hope where there is no hope. So um, we lament the state of things, we don't, but we don't abandon hope. And we work for the welfare of our people, giving them hope for recovery. Um, so, uh, so that's an, another point. Then we come to verse 23. When the opportunity came, Paul slipped in appropriate testimony. In verse 23, he says, For last night, an angel of the God whom I belong, to whom I belong, and whom I serve, stood beside me. Just a little word about the God that he worships. And then verse 24, God has granted you all in the ship. Verse 25, take heart, for I have faith in God. Verse 35, later he prays, he prays that God would bless the food. That, uh, that they are going to partake of. See, in many of our engagements in society, we cannot explicitly share the gospel, but we can use opportunities to show that who we are and what we do is because of the God we believe in. And we owe it to God. Uh, I was in Sri Lanka one day watching CNN News. Uh, and they interviewed, it was uh, during the Olympics, or a few days after the Olympics, and they interviewed this girl, Abby Augustine, I don't know if you remember this girl who, who was running in the 5,000 meters, and a New Zealand girl fell down in front of her, and she tripped, and she fell, and, um, and uh, she stopped and lifted up that girl, told her, get up, get up, we have to finish this. And both of them limped to the end. And they became the heroes of the Olympic Games. And, um, and they were interviewing her. And uh, they, they, uh, they asked her, you know, what, what, what did you think? What, what were you doing? What were you thinking? Oh, I don't know what I was thinking, but I was just praying. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me to finish this. And it was so winsomely done. I mean, CNN is not the most friendly uh, news channel to your Christians, but in a situation like that, it just came out so beautifully as she, uh, as she talked about what she did, which was to pray in this situation. You know, Daniel, when he went to Nebuchadnezzar with the good news that he had the answer to the problem that he was having about the dream, the, the, the king asked, can you? Interpret, tell me what the dream is and interpret it. And Daniel's reply was, no human being can, but there is a God. Slipping in testimony as the occasion gives us opportunity. Then, verse 27, we are told that for 14 days, they were in this storm-tossed sea without an intervention from God. And we see here that Paul endured suffering with the people. You know, the Bible is very clear that God answers prayer to deliver us when we are in trouble. 
There is no doubt about that. But also God calls us to incarnation, to follow Christ, in uh, uh, the, the suffering servant, to suffer with our people. Uh, I, I did a study some years ago of all the times we are asked to follow Christ's example. Except for five of the occasions, all the other examples of following Christ's example was to follow him in the example of suffering. So if you are to be people of Jesus, we are suffering with the people of this world. But in companionship with fellow sufferers, we communicate hope. We show love. Uh, my wife had cancer six years ago. She's, she's recovered now. But uh, one of the things we had to do was to go every day. I was on, I had just stepped down from my job, so I was on leave for three months. Uh, and, uh, and God <laughs> timed it so that this cancer will come at that time. So we were able to I put a desk beside my wife's bed, and I wrote a book <laughs> beside her <laughs> on love, by the way. Uh, and anyway, we, we had to go uh, 25 days for radiation therapy. Uh, it was a government hospital, uh, not the nicest place to be, um, and we were in a shed, and we would wait all, wait outside, you know, uh, until uh, our turn came. And 25 days, we were with the same people every day. And all of us were from the cancer community. And there was a comradeship that was formed and opportunities to talk about Christ, and opportunities to help people, friendships that went on for years after that. It was a comradeship that was forged through suffering. And in such situations, as fellow sufferers, we are able to communicate the Christian approach to suffering, and that is that God is with us and we don't have to be afraid. You might remember how John Wesley on the ship um, uh, in the Atlantic Ocean, when they were caught in a storm, there were those Moravians who were singing during the storm. And he was afraid of death. John Wesley was afraid of death. So he asked the leader after it was over, were you not afraid? And the, uh, and the leader answered, I thank God, no. And he asked, were not your women and children afraid? He said, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. And there was this witness that had such a marked influence on Wesley. So we, we, we are comrades as we suffer together in this world. Then the, our sixth point, the next slide, please. We warn of impending danger. Uh, in verse 30, the sailors tried to abandon the ship, lower the lifeboat as if, as if they were going to put out anchors, but they were trying to run away, to get away. And uh, Paul said, you will all die unless the sailors stay on the ship. We want them at this time. See, it was a bad intention that was couched in a good-looking program. That happens often in this world, you know. Uh, and 
we are called to speak to warn people and uh, about these things that could happen in society uh, during the war in sri lanka we christians we felt we had failed sometimes when muslims were in a very serious situation of being thrown away from their homes the christians didn't rise up, rise up and speak up on behalf of the muslims and we had to later ask god to forgive us because we didn't take the stand on behalf of others uh, when progress uh, is 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 you know in the in in the name of progress when a weak minority um, is deprived of justice we see the danger and we speak for justice when there is development without ecological responsibility we speak for the environment when planned parenthood pushes programs at the cost of the life of an embryo we speak for the rights of the unborn when the needs of poor people are neglected as the progress as the society progresses we speak for the oppressed and when we realize that people are missing the greatest right on earth which is the right to a relationship with their creator we share the gospel so we are called to speak up on behalf of the needy people of this world when we see danger we are alert to it and we speak so that's our next point then the next slide please we adopt a servant lifestyle well the storm uh, go uh, gets bad and the ship uh, there is a shipwreck and the people all go to malta and it's cold and rainy and the people build a fire and we are told in verse 3 paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire of course a, a poisonous snake bit him at that time and because he didn't die the people were very impressed uh, but uh, uh, what happened was he was involved there was work to do and he just joined in and he adopted a servant lifestyle uh, william barclay commenting on this says only a little man refuses a little task big people are willing to do small things and and that is another way in which we uh, witness in our society he was an oppressed minority in this particular case he was a prisoner but we may be oppressed minorities but we are princes and princesses of the king of kings and the lord of lords that's our identity and out of the strength of that identity we have strength to be servants you know all the passages the famous passages on servanthood first talk about identity the son of man a title of exalted dignity came came from where from god he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many uh, john 13 verses 3 and 4 jesus knowing that he had come from the father and that the father had given all things into his hands that he had come from god and was going back to god knowing his exalted dignity he rose from supper 
laid aside the outer garment, emptied himself, and took, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, emptied himself is the next passage. I'm reading my notes a little too fast today. Uh, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, who was, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant. So first, our identity. People who serve without identity are bitter and angry. They look like very humble, but you just wind them a bit and they just pour out their anger and their bitterness. But once we are filled with a sense that we have been lifted by God, we are able to come down and do whatever is necessary to be servants to our people. So we adopt a servant lifestyle. And then um, we come to chapter 28, verses 8 and 9, where the chief officer of Malta, his father is ill. And Paul went and prayed for him and laid hands on him and healed him. You know, I have never had a person refuse a prayer when we offer to pray for them. And this is something I have Muslim friends. So, uh, I had a friend who was a very devout Muslim. Before he went to hospital, he told his wife, uh, please ask Ajit to pray. Uh, people know that we are in touch with God. And this is one way in which we can open the doors for the gospel by praying. And, and God answers prayer. Uh, and through the answered prayer, uh, an opportunity is heard for the gospel. And even if they don't see a spectacular answer to prayer, they see us and our relationship with God and see that we can go to our God when we have a problem. And that can attract them to Christ. We have an evangelist in our church, in the Methodist church in Sri Lanka, who has a gift of healing. And God has used him to bring many to Christ through this miraculous gift. But he came to Christ when a family member got cancer and died. They were Buddhists and the Christians prayed. And they were so impressed by the prayer that he became a Christian. And he got the gift of healing that God gave him this gift. So we use whatever opportunities we can get to pray for people. And, um, and then uh, finally, uh, Paul receives encouragement from fellow Christians. Uh, you know, when he comes, to, uh, when he gets onto the, uh, Europe, uh, the land, uh, we, we find in verse 28 and verse 14 that he meets Christians, thanks God, and takes courage. Uh, Paul, as you know, in, in this journey, he's not alone. He has friends with him. It's, a, it's one of the wee passages of Acts where Luke was, was probably with him. You know, when people are involved in society, especially people in prominent positions in society, Christians, um, other Christians love to throw stones at them, to criticize them. Uh, how important it is to have friends when we are involved in the world, trying to be witnesses for Christ in the world. We make mistakes. People make mistakes when they do that. And without uh, just shouting at them, we can encourage them. And, um, and so uh, 
they had friends. You, you, perhaps, I think the last letter that John Wesley wrote was to uh, William Wilberforce, encouraging him in the work that he was doing. And we know that William Wilberforce had this group called the Clapham Sect that was with him, behind him. He was, it was a terrible um, pressure. He suffered from migraine headaches and had, you know, so many people saying so many things about him. But there were these friends who were with him. When John Wesley was a young person, a young, young in ministry, he went to see someone he called a serious man. And that person told him, Sir, you want to serve God and um, go to heaven? Remember, you cannot do it alone. Therefore, find companions or make them. If you don't have companions, make them. We need to go after friendships and get encouragement from each other. So here there are several principles, nine principles of being right in society as God's representatives. We cultivate friendship. We contribute wisdom. We communicate hope. We endure suffering. We slip in appropriate testimony. We warn people of danger. We adopt a servant lifestyle. We pray for people's needs. And we receive encouragement from fellow Christians. You know, it's a wonderful thing to know that the creator of the Lord, of the world, has sent us as his representatives. This is a thrilling thing. You know, um, um, Gypsy Smith was an evangelist, a Methodist evangelist, who preached until he was 87 years old. He started at 17 and went on till 87. And uh, somebody asked him, what is the secret of your freshness and vigor? And he said, I never lost the one. There's a wonder about the gospel. There's a wonder about the fact that we have been called to be representatives of, of, of God. When I was a teenager, I went for a youth conference in India. And the theme of that conference was following the greatest leader and being involved in the greatest cause. Almost 50 years later, those same words keep ringing in my ears. We are following the greatest leader. We are involved in the greatest cause. Let's thank him for the privilege and let's do what we have to do as his witnesses on earth. Let's pray. We thank you, our Father, for this wonderful privilege, first of being your children and then of being your ambassadors. Lord, we pray that those dual truths would never leave us as we go through challenges, as we suffer, as we struggle. Help us always to live with the reality that our God is marching on and we are moving in the stream of his sovereignty and that he will conquer and that what we do is a building block in the construction of the kingdom that will go on 
forever and ever. Thank you for the privilege, Lord. Help us to be faithful in Jesus' name.